Hello and welcome to The Naked Scarf. I'm Adam. And I'm Andy. And in this episode we'll be looking at Ghostlight. So Andy, give us your plot synopsis. <laughs> Are you sure you wouldn't like to do it? No, no, you, you go, you go. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, right, Ghostlight. Basically there is this sort of entity being thing, who is called Light, and Light has on a spaceship with these two other entity being things, one of whom has a kind of uh, 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 Josiah, that's it, Josiah, a uh, really poncy name. And sorry if there's anyone out there called Josiah. Um, and, and the other one of whom is called Control. And they're kind of like uh, life forms from a different different planet who have been categorising uh, various civilizations. Uh, they categorised like a lot of the life on Earth back when humans were still Neanderthals. Neanderthals. It depends which way you like to pronounce that. Yes, they they, they are they are both they they are both valid. Um, no, no, I was uh, I was just thinking weren't the, the founder he ah oh, no I can't say it Neanderthal. Neanderthals? Neanderthals? Yeah, yeah. Didn't we evolve from a different species? Oh yes, good point. Huh. Right, anyway, no, that's completely distracting. Um, so yes, anyway, they, they, they've uh, sort of like, their spaceship is uh, back on Earth, um, and Light has been asleep for a very long time, and whilst he's been asleep, uh, Josiah's been a bit naughty, and he's taken over a house in the Victorian era, and he's like bumped off the head of the household and turned the mum and the daughter and all the servants into his, like, you know, little slavey people. And um, the doctor and Ace come to this house um, because it was a house that uh, Ace actually burnt down when she was a teenager, although uh, the doctor doesn't actually know that at this point. All he knows is that um, she didn't like the house. Uh, she told him about the haunted house that she didn't like when she was younger. And of course he was curious, so he brought her back there. And uh, there's all sorts of uh, hilarious japes. I, I, I don't know, actually. I'm struggling here. You've got a cast of weird characters. You've got uh, you've got Redford Cooper, who's a hunter who seems to have gone mad yep. living in the house. You've got the butler. Uh, yes, the butler, who is a, a Neanderthal that they uh, catalogued and um, have, have brought back to life to work as a butler. So he's a, he's a little bit simple. And there's also a policeman who they've uh, uh, put to sleep, sent to Java, as, as their little uh, euphemism for it is. Java generally means dead, I think, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah, 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 sure? yeah, yeah. It's very clear that being sent to Java means dead. Okay, but uh, yes, anyway, so um, uh, lot, lots of stuff happens and, and then um, a, a control um, who has lived in the spaceship that's concealed underneath the house uh, sort of uh, breaks out uh, for the first time in um, however many thousands of years they've been there or this. It's not ever quite sure no, how no. long they've been there. Um, and uh, what were you going to say? No, I was going to say this is, admittedly this is one thing's cleared up in the DVD releases. They've only been on Earth for a couple of years. They were there, they oh, were, okay. and, they, and they kind of crashed back. But yes, anyway, uh, uh, um, because the, the, uh, Josiah the, the, wants to um, basically bump off Queen Victoria and take over the British Empire, and, um, and control breaks out because she's a bit fed up of always being behind the scenes, and she starts evolving into from a like sort of old haggy woman into a, a more pretty Victorian lady, and um, Ace gets to develop a lot as a character, and ah, oh, this is like the worst plot synopsis I've ever done. Yes, it is. It's very difficult to bring all it, these elements is, together. No, to be fair, even I'm not going to mock you for this because it is a quite a complex story. There's a lot going on, and it's it's quite difficult to summarise. It is one you I would say you need to see it. Yes, you Absolutely. really do. Basically, the Doctor saves the day. Woo! Yeah, there <laughs> you would go. have guessed. There you go. Because <laughs> this particular story goes like it, it tends to get a little bit categorised with in the classic series with 
Oh, we probably should mention Seventh Doctor. We said Ace, so it's kind oh, of... Oh, yes, that's yes, kind of, uh, yeah. So it's Doctor. It's not going to be any of the others, really, is it? But yeah. this, as I was going to say, this uh, story tends to get categorised with ones like Kinder and Warrior's Gate as being a bit complex. Yes. People say that it's one you have to... It's, it's complex before watch. Russell T. Davis came along. People believe it. <laughs> Stephen Moffat, surely. Uh, Russell yeah. T. Davis didn't tend to go so much for the complex. Okay, no, that's a fair as enough point. did. As I said, you know, this for anyone who hasn't seen a lot of the classic series and you thought complex, who that you had to watch a few times to really get started with Stephen Moffat, it really didn't. But oh, hang on, just quickly. At this point, we did promise that we would give a shout out to Dave, who's our tech support, because um, because this is like one of the first episodes, or this is like you know his era of who. Well, it was just the first story I think he ever saw. This yeah, that was to me. So, so uh, yeah, there, hello, Dave. Hi, Dave. We love you. Uh, it's it's quite difficult now to start with this. I mean, I love it. I absolutely love this story. It is flawed. If you watch the making of documentary, as they admit, they are having to edit it for time because it's three episodes and so some of the explanation gets left behind but for me normally that would irritate me it irritates me in other uh, Pooh stories but this I think managed to pull it off by having such a rich atmosphere and so many great moments that you almost don't notice because I, I, I have heard this described as being the first dot two for the v- VHS generation which it would have been at the time 1989 and that it needs repeated re-watching that's a nice way of putting it very succinct yeah, I think that's a, that's a pretty good, uh, very good description of it. First off, top of my head, I think this is Festival McCoy's best performance. You know what? There are a lot of little bits that he gives to this performance, and you just think that's a nice touch. You know, um, he gets a lot of really great lines, as great moments. Yes. I've kind of made a list. Um, yes, there was one point where Adam was literally quoting, quote unquote, exactly what Sylvester McCoy was saying as it came out of his mouth, which I thought was quite. I've watched impressive. this a few times. I've yeah, I, I, I times. thought you know it was about uh, him hating burnt toast and bus stations. Okay, let's start with that line. I, when Ace realises where she's been taken and she goes to the doctor, don't you have things you hate? And he he has this wonderful little speech about he hates burnt toast, he loathes bus stations, terrible places full of lost luggage and lost souls, etc., etc. And what's what I love about that, and then he talks about hating unrequited love and tyranny and cruelty. And I love the way he delivers the words burnt uh, toast and bus stations with the same seriousness as unrequited love and tyranny and cruelty. It'd be very easy to to make those lines a bit more comic, particularly, you know, he always had a bit of a reputation from particularly at the beginning for being a bit more of a, a comic, comedic doctor. Yes. But he doesn't, it's absolutely straight. And, I mean, there are so many great little lines he gets in this. Um, when Josiah offers him money to kill Control, and he goes, I'm not interested. How much? And and then he goes, 5,000, he goes, that's what I call Victorian value. And just wonderful little di- dialogue nuggets like that. Uh, you don't know what you're doing, and he goes, no, but I'm about to find out. Yes. And then maybe it's the defining sense of Doctor line when he goes, even I can't play this many games at once. Yes, yes, that, that's a nice one. Or, or actually, because what's interesting about this story is the Doctor releases light to stop Josiah, but of course he releases a far more dangerous threat. Yes. And he doesn't, and even he knows he's probably doing this. He doesn't, there's a conversation he has with Ace where she's going, just leave it, just leave it. And he's going, it is very old. Maybe just one little chat. <laughs> and she's like, no, no, leave it. But he does it anyway. Yes. Which is very Seventh Doctor, I think. A lot of whose stories, new and old, you can kind of compare them to others. But while there are elements of us, other stories I'm sure you can find, I can't think of anything that's quite like Ghostlight. I think because it is uh, alien... I mean, they say it is an alien invasion story, but in the context of a Victorian ghost story. 
Yes, and, and one thing, uh, as was pointed out in the making of documentary, is that uh, the BBC have always done period drama very well. And so, um, despite the fact that they were saying it was all shot on a set as opposed to on location, it looks fantastic. It it's it's a very good. eerie feel. Um, the, the costumes are fantastic. The sets, you, you wouldn't be able to tell that they were sets. They, they do look like they've literally gone and shot in somebody's house. Um, it's, 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 it's a nice, it's, it's very polished. I mean, like a lot of Doctor Who this time, the only thing is it is shot on video, so it looks a little cheaper. If it, was, if it had been shot on film, I think it would look absolutely yeah. amazing. So, you, But that's always a problem with this time yes. and, and drama, that you shot a lot on video, which always looks a little bit cheaper. And, and so when your sets aren't good, they really stand out as not being good. Yeah. But this, can, this manages to get away with that. What I really like is they end up in this, this weird, strange house with all these odd characters. It's very much an grotesque representation of a Victorian household. It's yes. Very, it kind of makes it more alien. It's almost like an alien's view of what a household would be like at that time. Yes, it is, actually. No, actually, there's always one thing that I, I really wanted to say, which um, um, the character of Light. Mm -hmm. I actually think that the guy who created the Powerpuff Girls must have watched this and watched the guy who played Light and used him as the basis for, you know, the gay cross-dressing uh, cross devil. In the Powerpuff no, I've Girls. never watched the Powerpuff Girls. Have you not? No. You see, the wonderful thing about the Powerpuff Girls is that it was created by some guy who was like just out of college or something, so he didn't actually really create it for kids. So sometimes, if you actually watch it um, back, and you sort of think this, this is children's TV, there are some really, um, you know amazing sort of references in here. I mean, I know that a lot of that stuff passes the kids by. You, you know Dave will love this episode even more now because he loves the Powerpuff Girls. Yeah, he Dave! Went, he, went, he went to see the film on his own. He always tells me that. So he's going <laughs> to love this. We, we've given him a shout-out and we've somehow managed to pair his first Doctor Who story with the Powerpuff Girls yeah. already. But I honestly think, like, when you see uh, Light, if I were one of the actors on the set that day, I don't think I'd have been able to keep a straight face because it's fine when they put it into the post-production and he's all glowy and ethereal and all the rest of it, but at the time it's just some guy who's talking in a uh, very airy voice. Can I say, when I first saw this, I was 14, I guess, got the VHS, and, I mean, I loved it, but I wasn't quite sure about Light, but on repeated viewing, I realised it works, for me, it works really well because... He does look a bit like a kind of Raphael-esque angel and he, the sing-songy voice is actually really good because he he delivers some really sinister... I think, for me, like, and this story has got one of the most sinister moments where he he very casually kills a maid and then when the character comes in and finds him holding her arm and he goes, I wanted to know how it works so I dismantled it. But it's yes. so <laughs> casual and so... It's quite creepy because he's not like, ha-ha, I am evil, this is the arm, wah ha He's just like, no, I want to know how it works, so I took it apart. Yeah, no, it's just a little bit uh, Ronnie-esque, I suppose. Mm, not really. No, no I just no. mean in that uh, just purely absolute lack of humanity, just purely scientific interest. Yeah, I suppose, I suppose, I suppose, I see what you mean. But he's one of these characters for me, as I've watched it more, I realise it does work well. Because you don't really know, when I first watched this, I didn't really know what to expect. And so he comes up and he says, oh, I was a guy. But of course, I mean, it's said that, um, you know, that's not, he, he obviously changes form wherever he is because he goes, why have I naturalised in this form? Yeah. Actually, an interesting, interesting point that occurred to me watching this today, actually, never occurred to me before, which is what I quite like about the story. You always pick up on little things. Because they talk about the ship. He has this stone spaceship in the, in the uh, Victorian house's basement. Gabriel Chase is the name of the house in the basement. And... At the end, the the, uh, the ship chooses the other characters to be its crew, and they start talking about suddenly cat uh, cataloging things. And it's almost like the ship's more in control. That's actually a very good point. Um, yeah, 
And, and actually, now I think about it, it's, it's a premise that um, happens quite a lot in in sci-fi. I mean, whether it's actually like a central theme of, of, of the story or, or whether it's a, a plot device, but it's something that we do. Because I, I think it's a very human curiosity, and to be able to give that to an alien, it feels like it's really turning but the tables. You see, I, mean, I think the ship is almost hinted, it's never stated, but it's hinted that the ship is almost more powerful. Because if you think about it, they've got all these dead bugs that start coming to life yes. because of the energy of the ship and like I said just at the end the way the ship chooses a new crew and, they, and then the crew start talking about cataloguing things yes and I, it, maybe it's maybe it's I'm wrong but it's right. almost hinted that the ship has slightly more control than, than we think perhaps yeah that's uh Absolutely fair enough. What was the Powerpuff Girls the thing you said to me? You're not going to like it when I say this. Yeah, oh, I, I didn't think you'd I, like it, but maybe that's because you haven't seen the Powerpuff I haven't Girls. Seen the Powerpuff I'm going to have to find you the YouTube clip of it because you know I can't think of that many other kids' programs where you actually have a, a gender bending, cross dressing, uh, really camp devil who, like, you know, uh, yeah. I, I tell you what, like, you can find inspiration for that character in so many CD Soho joints at a certain time of the morning. Here we are talking about a kids show. Um, family, family, <laughs> family show. show. Family, family ha, show. you said it. Family Adam show. Family. Absolutely hates referring to it as a kids show. It's like family. No, it is a family show, which I think is a is a major difference. I think it's a very important difference to make. What I really like about this, and it's quite, it's quite a feature this time, is it's not particularly bogged down in techno babble. You present it with these ideas and and, and and these beings, but they don't then spout off about the the Hoojum Watchit Drive being connected to the You're thing. You're right. Nobody reversed the polarity. There was no. I don't mind a bit of reversing polarity, <laughs> but you know it didn't. It didn't get itself bogged down in in, in technical talk, and it so again something that this the, the last couple of years of uh, McCoy Zero was doing is it kind of brings the weird back a little yes. bit, the weird and the odd, where I think Doctor had lost gradually lost that throughout the eighties. Yeah, no, that's actually fair enough. And maybe even to say. before that, actually, maybe since kind of like the late seventies onwards. Yeah, it, you, you it, could it became, actually say it slipped into fast just a tiny bit. Yeah, and, and, and it started it, to get back some of that sinister, some of that. I mean, edge. they always talk about wanting. To, I mean, there's a lot of talk about them wanting to make the Doctor more powerful, more mysterious. But just generally, the the weirdness here, the the oddness, the sheer oddness. I mean, because you think when the program started, they walked into a little box. It was huge on the on the inside. That's odd. That's weird. That's strange. And this is of a great course. thing of them starting to bring that back in. Well, one of the important things about the episode as well is that it represented a real character arc for uh, Ace. Well, yeah, because it kind of goes together in this season with Curse of Fenric and Survival. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting as a character arc because you can watch those... Those are stories were actually shown in a different order that they were made, but you can kind of watch them in any order and it's still yeah. about her. I mean, the thing about her burning down the house is in some ways it's almost not that important. It's more of a way of getting them to the house in the first place. Yeah. It's something in the layers... As it were, it's not. Well, I like the direct comparison in that you know uh, when she was thirteen, she went to the house and she felt it was evil and she was afraid of it, and so she decided to burn it. Whereas um, she got a chance uh, through her uh, partnership with the doctor to actually go back into the past to what made the house evil and confront it. And there was a point actually in the show where um, uh, she turned around um, and, and sort of was very angry at the doctor for bringing her back there, um, and the doctor sort of said to her. Oh, wow, you know, here are the keys to the TARDIS, you can go and uh, sit in there and wait for me to get back. And she sort of said, but that 
would be the easy thing to do, you know, or something like that. And and uh, and she went on to sort of face her fears. Oh God, yes. And uh, uh, what was the name of the um, other girl? Gwendolyn. She, Gwendolyn. That was it. Yeah. There's an amazing scene where she and uh, Ace end up having like because I, I I was I was quite enjoying this. First off, like they meet and because it's a Victorian house, um, uh, Ace is accused of being uh, underdressed, which she wasn't for the standards of our time, but uh, she was for the standards of their time. So uh, Gwendolyn takes. Off to find a dress. Yes, you can see her lovely shoulders. Um, Gwendolyn takes her off to find a dress, and Ace obviously uh, persuades her that it would be quite fun if they dragged up a bit. And so you get to the scene where they're like, you know, hidden behind some screens, but you can see things flying all over the place and hear giggling. And I'm like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. And then um, (laughs) they just like. They just emerge, like, all dragged up, and, and they look fantastic, um, and then Gwendolyn gets in trouble for it. But then later, there's the part where Gwendolyn um, has, has decided to send uh, Ace to Java because she's been told that she's got to uh, uh, go and uh, bump her off. And, um, and and there's an excellent tussle that they have, and they're both dressed like ladies again at this point, and yeah, they, like, you know, push dresses. each other on the bed and, like, you know, fighting and scrapping and that kind it, of, like, it's yeah. quite It's quite a well-done fight, actually, because it, it's not pretty stylized, and it doesn't look like two people just going for it. Yeah. It, uh, I was going to say, actually, because the Ace and Gwendolyn thing is interesting because it's almost a bit of a twist on the... There's always this standard thing that the Doctor and companion turns up somewhere and then the companion ends up mate, meeting someone and they become great friends almost immediately. Yes. I mean, you can see a bit actually in Battlefield with Ace and the irritating woman in that whose name I, I can't remember. Uh, but in this one, they kind of meet, they become great friends and then Gwendolyn tries to kill her. Yes. No, that, that was uh, nice. Uh, Gwendolyn has a very nice singing voice. And uh, we were watching the uh, making of, um, and uh, uh, Sophie Aldridge, was, uh, who plays Ace, was sort of saying, oh, yeah, the uh, day that, um, uh, you know, Gwendolyn and I were supposed to be having our fight, she said, everybody turned up. Everybody stayed. Everybody was watching. I was like, yeah. <laughs> One thing I love about this is, because it's about the idea is that she was, so, I'm not having a really good day I'm pronouncing stuff Josiah is evolving into a Victorian gentleman because that's the highest form of life in such a way that they all go to dinner even though they've all in the last episode even though they've all been trying to kill each other and they all turn up for dinner because yes. that's, what's, that's what's expected that's, that's what, what you I would do. do that's what you do that's yes, what that's you do what in Victorian do. society. You turn up to dinner, and they all do I that. Would I still think that's turn up to brilliant. Dinner. I love that. You know, it's not eating a, cures everything. It's it's not like a big confrontation, in, in, like in his power base with with the mad computer or something it's just they turn up for dinner because that's what you do yes and they sort of hash things out a bit and it's also what's lovely about it is is, is it's got again another it's a very semp doctor thing that the doctor basically talks light into killing himself yes but there's one little thing about you going but your catalogue isn't complete what about the griffins and the bandersnatches and it started yeah bandersnatch uh, 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 it's uh, yeah, um, jabberwockies um, yeah jabberwocky is quoting bits of jabberwocky and I was like yeah and, and then he goes in twas brillig and the slithy toads get gyring imbel in the wave all mumsy with a borough <laughs> and the moans afrocker yeah I really love that poem but yeah and, and he talks about um, about how but you've changed everything changes and it's always lights very much to make a an early capacity, there's an earlier character, the Reverend Ernest Matthews, who turns up because he, uh, Josiah Samuel Smith has set himself up as a, as a, I'm trying to think of the word, as, a, as, a, as an evolutionary scientist or, so, or something. Or he, yes. He's supporting Darwin's theories, and the Reverend Ernest Matthews at the beginning turns up to tell him he's wrong and he's a blasphemer, etc., etc. And he basically, he's not really a character who does a lot. He turns up to talk a bit, talk how Darwin's rubbish, and then gets turned into a monkey. Light is almost a same version because light can't deal with the concept of change either, and that's what destroys them. Yes. So they're, they're almost similar. 
no, it's, it's interesting actually. There's a who is, having a bit of a reverence for religion there. It's actually isn't yeah because I was just going to say think about it, he's he's a reverend and like looks like an angel. Like yeah, in fact, um, Ace does mistake him for an angel. So uh, yes, there's a slightly hella. Uh, I was going to say healthy. That's that's not what I meant. Um, uh, Hi, religious people. No, there's a certain disregard for uh, religion um, uh, in the episode. I mean, it's quite subtle. It's not it's, never really stated. It's, no, it's, it's not in your face. Although um, I, I, I did dislike the way that they sort of made the um, uh, the um, Reverend. Dirt, the Reverend, yeah, that's the one. Um, I, I did dislike the way that they made him so, you know. Angry and, and fuddy and blah, blah, blah. like um, he didn't actually come across as the sort of person who would sit down to a civilized luncheon, even though he was oh, a, a religious man. But they they would have done because that's what they did, not they? That's why they still turn up at dinner in the final episode, even though they've all been trying to kill each other. It's what was done. But you that know, was, those you know the what rules, I mean. And just, all... I, I I wish that he had been it, a little bit more of a sympathetic character. Mm, yeah, yeah. No, okay, okay I see. But he's very two dimensional. He comes in, he, yes. he waffles. I mean, again, is another great moment where, where he he mistakes the doctor for Josiah Samuel Smith, and the doctor come goes to him. My heresy. These are poor you. My theories outrage you. I never answer letters, and you don't like my tie. And yeah, great. <laughs> Congratulations, great. well remembered. I think, I'm, no, I think I might have got the first two lines mixed up. I have watched this an awful lot. Yes, you um, have, haven't you? You just wait until we do Curse of Fenric, and I'll just be spouting the entire dialogue. It's just going to be the longest podcast of me just just repeating all the lines ad nauseum. That's okay. Just you wait until Doomsday. Is that just going to be you crying the entire time? <laughs> no, it's going to be me going. You will defeat the Cybermen with full Oh, dark. no, no, we talked about this last time. We're not, we're not, we're not bringing I up that scene. That we're not bringing up that bloody scene every time we do a podcast. You're not working it in every time. <laughs> right, that's it. I'm going to try now. I'm going to use a signifier. It's going to be hidden in every podcast and you won't even know. I think I will. I do, I do edit them. <laughs> but but, but you would need to know my code. Moving on. <laughs> What is interesting about this is it's it's a real sh- I mean it's a real shame that this is because this was the last story actually filmed of the original series even though yes. the last show and last filmed and it's it makes you so sad because they're obviously tr- really trying to do something different and yes. it makes you wonder what what another couple of years would have been like it, where the series would have gone because they're obviously pushing it in a very different direction and it's kind of appropriate this is all about evolution because this is a, the series is literally evolving in front of yeah. our eyes well again it's, it's a nice point that was brought up in the uh, making of by uh, Sylvester McCoy and Sophie Aldridge which is uh, they were sort of improvising the last line which was uh, Sylvester McCoy saying to Ace after she had said that rather than burning the place down she might have liked to explode it and he said wicked because it was her language and it was him trying to show that, you know, he had learned from her, he had picked stuff up from her and, and, you know, him saying wicked... It, 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 Which is something, no, you wouldn't, you wouldn't believe if Matt Smith's doctor said it. Yeah, no, you wouldn't at all. But um, it did just represent some sort of a, of a uh, evolution um, from the doctor who rolls his hat up. But you know what? It, it did make me laugh actually because uh, yeah, the, the Sylvester McCoy does this thing um, where his hat he rolls it up his arm to put on his head. Adam does that too. Not quite like that. He does that thing. I, I it, just flip my hat on, onto my head. It looks very similar. It is probably a little bit, but you know. And I'm fairly sure that you have in the past expressed a wish for an umbrella with a question mark shaped handle. Uh, yeah, we actually saw someone whose amazing friends um, got an umbrella specially made for them for their birthday with a handle with a, a, a question mark shape, just like Sylvester McCoy's. Well, my friends are that amazing. It's kind of funny, really, that we like this, but Sylvester McCoy actually didn't like the umbrella. Um- didn't really like no, no, he was, he was sort of and trying to phase under, them out. Yeah. I completely understand why, because he said actually what he liked about this episode was he acted about the hat of the umbrella, yes. which he does for most of it, and he's, 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 he quite seemed to quite like that. So. I can completely understand why. I mean, um, it, it just, 
the idea about the doctors is that uh, uh, they the only thing they really retain between their characters is, is the doctor, the name, the doctor, you know, mm. uh, they're very different. When the, it started turning up with all the uh, question marks on, on lapels and, and jumpers and, and umbrellas and, and, you know, um, everything else, shirts, whatever, kind of felt too much like that's not something it's I'd because think... because he's of... mysterious and because it's sort of the most mysterious, he had the most question marks. Yeah, yeah, I think no, it's I because by that time um, the BBC was starting to think about branding it a bit more. I um, think what I think is well, it, what the question marks were brought in as a branding thing by John Nathan Turner quite yeah. early on, and they never, despite various actors going, "Can we get rid of them?" They never did. No. Spe- I, uh, speaking about it, I was just going to say this is a great cast. Yes, it they're really all proper is. actors. They're all top of the game. You know, your Ian Hogg is uh, brilliant. Sylvia Sims, they're all just they're all working at the top of the game. They're all taking it seriously. I mean, I love them. Um, Breakfast and Cooper in this. Yes. Who's very much play like a boy's own explorer with all his tales and, and, and things. And again, he gets a great scene where the, he's kind of pointing a gun at the Doctor, but the Doctor's still trying to get information out of him. He's like, tell me what you saw. Yeah. It works really well. No, there, there are some uh, extremely good um, uh, actors, actresses in it. There, there wasn't one point where, you know, you sort of looked at someone and thought, oh, they you know. Have, they could have cast that better. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which happens more often in Doctor Who than I like to admit. <laughs> Good music, great. Uh, I always like Marquez scores. So he on the documentary didn't it seem that happy. Score. Didn't seem that happy with what how it turned out. But I always thought it's it's quite. Good. I don't know if it's best, but I think it. Yeah, but he it's did good. say that the reason it, it turned out, uh, the reason he wasn't happy with it is because he thought it was played too loudly. Yeah. Um, uh, which, in all fairness, I, I can completely agree with him. He wanted it to be like uh, you know, uh, like he was saying earlier about the layers, just another layer of it. And it yeah. was actually competing with the dialogue at some point. So just, yeah, I suppose you it know, was, getting a bit loud. But I've, I mean, actually, we're probably going to end this uh, episode on a bit because I've got the soundtrack on CD. So I'll probably instead of, instead of the underwater menace, folks, you'll get something from Ghost Light instead, just to uh, vary it up a little bit. You hear that? My Doctor Who podcast body is possibly more nerdy than your Doctor Who. Po- no, I'm not even going to get into that territory. Don't be actually, Don't be um, he, he does have an awful lot of Doctor Who music that he squirrels away. Yeah, I, I, winter, I only have a scarf sc- and a Dalek, I, I, and I squirrel um, it away for the winter. Yeah. <laughs> um, for the long, long time to keep, you warm. To keep me warm and to, to feed my family. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm sure Lauren will be delighted to uh, hear that. Yes, he always is. Uh, possibly the, this might possibly be uh, the only uh, Two story where we hear the words "bog off." Yeah, <laughs> just, just bog random, off. it randomly struck me. I I don't actually know if a lot of eighty teenagers did say "bog off," but I suppose it was the BBC acceptable version of what was probably meant. Yeah, um, and bless him. As much as I, I love him, he. Uh, Sylvester McCoy just had a weird gurney moment in this for some reason. You know the bit I'm referring to. Yes. When he's telling, like, I didn't get caught napping, and his face is going, ah, is, is it? I mean, when, when it comes to great Doctor Who gurners, you've got John Pertwin, you've got Sylvester McCoy, really, who could gurn at the drop of a hat. I'm just trying to think of what I was saying. Uh... Yeah, I mean, I love it. I mean, yeah, it is flawed, and it's flawed because it doesn't provide some necessary explanations, but I think it rises above that. I, I think it manages to cut. Kind of, bizarre enough to still gel and just keep going. No, I did think that it was a good story. I think that perhaps it was a little ambitious. Um, I, I, I actually feel that they could potentially have simplified it a little. Um, there, there were certain touches that, um, uh, you're right, you do have to watch it over several times. Um, and in all fairness, um, a lot of things, if you do have to watch them over several times, and that's not what they set out to do in the first place, then I would almost count that 
as a little bit of a failure. It's it's fine in retrospect when you do have the time to go back and they've also got the making of documentary where the nice person explains exactly what was going on, like, you know, and all the bits that were actually cut out. But unless you're talking like, you know, there's a film called uh, Sinek Dookie, New York, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman in it, which I had to watch about three times and, you know, and, and before I could actually manage to get my head around it. But that's fine because that, that was the idea of the film. It was there to mess with your mind. I don't think that this episode was actually constructed to in order to mess with your mind um yeah it which especially with the more family audience i can genuinely actually see um a younger audience uh well even older audience younger audience being uh quite confused by it and quite often with uh, doctor who episodes that a lot of people say are confusing i always say just find a 10 year old to explain it to you you'll get along fine this one i do actually feel that potentially um it, it may just because there was so much that obviously um was cut out of it uh to try and make it fit into three episodes because they were saying it was originally going to be a four part no no it was always a three but then oh. they thought it was going to be a four no, but then yeah they, they and then a two. I, I feel that they could have really easily fixed it though with just a few lines here yeah. and there to you know explain but things. They're making, but you know, they always they're always making under pressure circumstances, oh, yes, particularly with the old series. I think, and particularly at this point when unfortunately no one in BBC really cared about them. Yeah. Apparently, according to my always handy discontinuity guide, um, the Independent called this the best dot two story in a decade. Oh. <laughs> so, but people did <laughs> like it. Last. I think, and that says a lot for it. I think it was able to um, really keep people with it because. It was still somehow much to be entertaining. It still hooked you in. Yeah. Well, I, I so, guess that that was kind of a good thing, though, because uh, I can imagine the series ending on that kind of a high and, and people going, hey, you know, there's still life in this and it's, it's kind of kept people's interest, you know, yeah. rather than allowing because people to sort this of... this wasn't the last story show and that was survival. Oh, yes, of course. Sorry. It was the last well, one made. But... Yes, uh, no, you'll you have to forgive me. I wasn't actually... Um, but, uh, no, no, I was born when um, this uh, first aired. Well, <laughs> to be fair, I didn't see this when it first aired, but no. I, I knew this. <laughs> Well, that's because, you know... The, I'm this, being pedantic. Is, yeah, you're, you're an absolute pedantic, neo-autistic nerd, um, according to your flatmate. And, and, um, and, and yeah, you, you, you do look up things like this. Um, uh, whereas my interest... It's pretty basic Doctor Who knowledge. Oh, really? Yes. My interest in Doctor Who is primarily dedicated to actually tracking down all the old episodes and, and trying to watch them in some sort of order. Because I always used to watch them on uh, UK TV... Uh, or, or, or one of the channels UK like Gold. that UK Gold yeah uh, when I uh, used to work in the NHS I did shift work and it would always be on at funny times of the day and all I could do was pass out in front of the sofa with some Doctor Who on and that's actually what uh, uh, started my interest in it and then um, uh, yeah it, and then they rebooted it and uh, um, yeah, so I, I do have somewhat more catching up to do than uh, Adam here because uh, thanks to my initially erratic watching of the episodes, um, um, I'm, I'm sometimes a bit all over the place well, with them. It's nice that you've apologised for not knowing. I wish that you could see the look I just gave him. I, I feel like I need to transcribe that for you because, you no, know, it, it, it could have scared a weeping angel. I don't know if I've got much more to say, to be honest. I think in, compar in comparison... Um, in the end, it's a great story. I would recommend it if you wanted to see The Seventh Doctor at his best. If you want to see Sylvester McCoy's best performance, I would recommend this. Yes, it, it uh, was definitely. a particularly brilliant performance on this part. I think it stands up to repeated viewing, which is... 
It does, and, so and even good. today, it's uh, uh, I, I say today, you know, even uh, how, how long ago was this broadcast? 89. 89. Yeah, even after, you know, um, all this time, it, it still really stands up as an episode that, that could actually probably have, have gone out now, you know, just a few tweaks, and yeah. um, it, it could actually be a, a perfectly uh, a good uh, couple of episodes in, in the current run, although I think that it worked particularly well, obviously, with the uh, Seventh Doctor and, and Ace, um, because of the time they managed to give it to her past, so... Uh, yeah, like I say, it's very much the the, the more thing about the model releasing a greater danger to stop a lesser one is such a kind of almost seventh doctor mistake to make as well, which is yes, but the seventh doctor does quite like making his mistakes, doesn't he? Well, really, do you think? I no, do think no, so. I, yes, I I, I I think that he basically I think he almost delights in when a situation isn't actually entirely in his control. That's weird because he's always down as the chess player, the manipulative doctor. But I think that the thing he likes about that is is the fact that uh, a chess player, if they're playing somebody with um, you know a similar slightly less skill, uh, then that's that's no challenge for them. If somebody outmaneuvers them and suddenly they have to think and bring the game back to them, then that's so much more interesting. And like you say, when he um, uh, does release light and and he's got no clue what's going to happen, but he's just doing it on the basis that hopefully, hopefully he might be able to talk to him. And he honestly doesn't sound like he actually you know is a hundred percent sure he's just got this sort of like instinct this this uh you know instinct that you know if perhaps he moves this piece in this direction he might be able to bring the state of play back in his favor i, I think that it's a really interesting element of that's, his character that's, that's interesting that's, i've never thought of it like that actually before hmm. so you can get a lot from this story yes <laughs> anyway yeah i think that's that's us done on this story so uh contact details if you want to speak to us let us know what you think but you don't have to but if you do you know it's always welcome you can email us at nakedscarf at gmail.com. We're on Twitter uh, at nakedscarf. Oh, I might as well put in here as well that uh, I'm on Twitter too. It's at secretary says, like all one word. Uh, a few of you actually managed to find me, and I'm very, very impressed from my really terrible description of, oh, you'll find me. I follow the naked scarf, and I've got red hair in my profile picture. So good on you. Although you're going to be disappointed if you think that I tweet a lot about Doctor Who because I don't. I mostly tweet about, you know, really stupid things like just stupid things I think and song lyrics and, you know, how out of control my underwear collection is getting. So anyway. Uh, yeah, so that's that, that's our Twitter. Uh, we're at Tumblr, which is nakedscarf.tumblr.com. We've got a Facebook group. If you search on Facebook for The Naked Scarf, come along, join, have a chat. Anyway, folks, we'll be back next time with our look at the war games, or Yay. ten episodes. Until then, take care. <laughs>